Uh, I want to dive into race now, uh, not in the normal way. <clears throat> we will talk about critical race theory again in just a bit. Uh, but I want to talk about racial classification. There's a book out, a new book called Classified, The Untold Story of Racial Classification in America. Why is this country so fascinated, so uh, locked in on classifying everyone by their skin color or their place of origin? And if they are going to do that, why is it so generalized? I mean, how is a Chinese person and a Korean person and a Japanese person and a Vietnamese person, Asian, just Asian, yeah, you're just all Asian, why does white get just, yeah, it doesn't matter if you have, uh, you know, what, what blood you have in you, if you come from Eastern Europe, you've come from Central Europe, Western Europe, you're just white. Why is it that we are so fixated on racial, racial classification? Is there a time coming soon in which maybe, just maybe we, um, we actually separate race from state? That's the question asked in the new book, Classified, The Untold Story of Racial Classification in America, by David Bernstein. David Bernstein is a professor at George Mason University. He actually holds the university professorship chair at the Antonin Scalia School of Law. He is a Yale Law School graduate, where he was a senior editor of the Yale Law Journal and the John Olin Fellow in Law, Economics, and Public Policy. He joins us now at AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about this racial classification. Good morning, Professor. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Good to have you with us. So this is uh, such an interesting question, and uh, and and I love the title uh, because it just harkens to any form we ever fill out, right? Any application for a job, any application for a loan, any application for a uh, you know for a, a, a place to live, all of these kinds of things, you have to identify yourself by race. Does it, do other countries do this, Professor, or are we unique in our in our need to declare what everybody's ethnicity and race is? You know, that varies, uh, but there there are some countries like France that just absolutely prohibit any uh, classification by the government by ethnicity or race, uh, and there's also a sort of a social taboo against it. And there are other countries like Brazil that uh, have some level of racial classification, although, of course, because our classifications are arbitrary, they don't match. So Brazil, I forget exactly how many, has like 83 different uh, classifications, whereas we have a lot fewer. Uh, and, um, you know, but we are on the sort of far edge of countries that classify much more routinely uh, than any, I think probably anywhere else in the world. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, of the countries that don't, like France, who, who, in fact, you say it's taboo to identify people by their by their racial classification or their origin or or ethnicity. What what is their reason for that? Well, I think there are uh, two primary reasons, at least you know, specific to France, at least one of which is the French traditional ideology that one citizenship trumps everything else. And they had a history of conflict between uh, the church and um, the secularists, and uh, other and other conflicts. And that you know, the philosophy of the French Revolution, liberté, égalité, fraternité, that we're all just Frenchmen, and that we shouldn't draw other distinctions, and that any kind of ethnic or religious identity you have should be private, not public. The second thing in France is that uh, they used to collect statistics uh, by religion, regardless, and. Um, one of the dangers of collecting statistics like that is that they can obviously be misused. And when the Nazis took over France, instead of burning or hiding the statistics about who is Jewish, they turned them over to the Nazis. So to prevent such a thing from happening again, they just don't keep those statistics anymore. 
Wow. That's interesting. That That's an answer I did not expect. Because I was going to say, I, I, I love the idea, to be honest with you. We're, we're all Frenchmen. Because, you know, hyphenated America has been a discussion in this country for the last couple of decades, maybe maybe more, maybe the last few decades. You know, or do we have to be African-American, Asian-American, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Why are we not all just classified as Americans? Do you find that the racial classification of this country holds us back? Or do you find that, that there is a need for it? I think that it is holding us back to some extent towards what I would like to see in the future, which would be sort of uh, a multi-ethnic American identity, right? I mean, unfortunately, if you go back, you know, 100 years or so, if you have asked the average person what is an American, they would have thought a white person, maybe even a blonde white person. You can look at old Coca-Cola ads. They look like there's something I really have Nazi Germany uh, with blonde hair and blue-eyed people. Uh, but we've gone beyond that, and I think most people, you know, almost everyone, accepts that we are a multi-ethnic country and that American identity is not tied to race or ethnicity. Uh, and, you know, you can see that in the fact that almost no one opposes interracial marriage now. It's very common to oppose it, uh, even, you know, 30 years ago, uh, that uh, there's more and more intermarriage, assimilation, people having friend groups across, across racial lines. So that's the good news. The bad news is that we, on the other hand, have this, trend where the government forces everyone into these boxes and really creates divisions and so forth where there wouldn't have been. Like, I, you know, I, you hear, especially at elite universities, people talking about, well, I go to the Asian American club or I live in the Latino house. The Asian American and Latino or Hispanic identity was really completely invented by the government in the 70s. Like you said, I mean, Asian includes everyone from India to the Philippines have nothing in common. They don't look alike, they don't have the same religion, they don't have the same culture, but the government forces them into these classifications. And once you force people into these identities, inevitably interest groups and identities form around them and result in division, right? Because if you're going to the government saying we want stuff because we're Hispanic or black or American Indian or anything else, that's a zero-sum game and it creates conflict. There's only so much government resources to go around, so if you're giving stuff to people because they're black, or Latino, but you're not giving it to them if they're white, or in some cases if they're Asian, like in universities, that just creates division and conflict. We are talking with Professor David Bernstein. He's the author of a very fascinating book uh, about race in America and racial classification. It's called Classified, the Untold Story of Racial Classification in America. You know, if they are going to go to the trouble to identify everyone by their uh, by their origin or by their color or by their look or whatever, which is bizarre, as we just pointed out. Um, you know, when you talk about Asians, they don't look all look the same. They don't all act the same. Their cultures are all very different. Same thing when you say African American. I mean, what does that mean? Because I have to believe there are some differences between somebody who is Rwandan, uh, Somalian, uh, Sudanese, or whatever. As a matter of fact, you know. Kamala Harris gets credit for being the first African-American vice president uh, in history, uh, or a female vice president. She has no roots in Africa at all, to my understanding. She's half Jamaican and half Indian, by, by, by my understanding. Yeah, she's, um, you know, I think her mom is Indian. Her father was a uh, biracial Jamaican, so he has both white and black ancestry. Now, she identifies as black, and I don't think anyone is going to tell someone in this country, maybe you know, that in the sense with the France, if you you can identify however you like privately, the question is whether the government must classify you that way. And really what you want to do is ask yourself, well, what are these classifications being used for? They were originally promulgated back in the 70s to help enforce civil rights laws, just to have 
you know, uh, consistency among different government agencies and how they're measuring people. They can see, well, are people discriminating in voting or housing or whatever? But they've really um, metastasized well beyond that. Uh, the rules originally said they're not supposed to be used for eligibility for programs, but they quickly became affirmative action categories. And one of the things that was really most shocking to me in researching my book is I discovered that uh, the government is making people use these classifications in biomedical research, even though there is no scientific basis for you know putting everyone from Asia together or everyone from uh, from who's Hispanic or white together, or for that matter, Af- you know Africa has a lot of genetic diversity too. So um, the government's using these. Comp- and I'm not saying that genetics doesn't have uh, a role to play in medicine, but race and genetics are not coextensive. And in fact, using race in medical research has retarded the progress we're making towards having genetic-based medicine. So it's actually costing people's lives. That's fascinating as well. I had not uh, th- considered the, the medical aspect of that. We're talking with Professor uh, David uh, Bernstein, uh, author of Classified, The Untold Story of Racial Classification in America. So when we talk about the idea, or you talk about the idea of replacing uh, racial classification with the separation of race and state, uh, is there any movement for that at all? I mean, I, I feel like it's just the opposite. We are getting so much more polarized. Uh, everybody has to be identified by something and then separated as such. Segregation used to be a terrible thing that we tried to, uh, very hard, and a lot of people fought very hard and suffered a great deal to get rid of. But now it is happening on a on a voluntary basis with you know dorms and graduation ceremonies and other things being segregated. I, I feel like we're not moving toward the separation of race and state, we are more embracing it now than ever. Yeah, I mean, I think if you ask the public, public opinion, and public opinion is consistently against uh, racial preferences or otherwise designated people by race, I think there's a lot of sympathy for the fact that uh, we should try to remediate the history of uh, racism in the United States without explicitly taking into account race, which you, which is certainly possible to do. You can look at people who are concentrated in zip codes where they have bad schools and so forth. But I think the problem is that our elite, the elite institutions uh, in the United States, our universities and so forth, are really committed to this stuff uh, for a variety of ideological and other reasons. The government's committed. It's the politicians like it because dividing people up a lot, you know, divide and conquer and so forth allows them to appeal to specific interest groups. Uh, but, you know, I think that um, there's a lot of sentiment. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of both resentment and puzzlement, and people don't even really know what these classifications are. They don't really know. I mean, most people think it's all self-identification. They don't realize the government has actually promulgated official rules with official definitions. So I mean, a lot of people say, well, people from Spain aren't Hispanic. It's only really meant for dark-skinned Latinos who might face discrimination. No, people from Spain are Hispanic. Well, people from uh, Arabs are not white. Well, Arabs are indeed classified as white. I mean, it's, it's all because it's all just kind of arbitrary the government came up with. And you have to understand, the government came up with these classifications at a time when almost 90% of the public uh, was white, and a, uh, a significant minority, around 12%, were black. There were very few Asians. Hispanics at the time were considered to be white. So no one really paid that much attention uh, to all these other um, groups and their subcategories. And all of a sudden, we had this massive immigration over the last 40 years, from 50 years, from Latin America and Asia. And now we're stuck sort of with these um, arbitrary rules, which, again, put someone from Pakistan in the same classification as someone from Malaysia, which makes no sense at all. 
That's a, that's exactly correct. You know, uh, Professor, you, you mentioned affirmative action in your previous response. I want to ask a little bit more about that. <clears throat> I know you're a Yale alum, uh, but, uh, you know, of course, everyone is following the Harvard uh, uh, admissions scandals and the um, essentially the blackballing of overqualified, not just qualified, but overqualified Asian students from Harvard uh, in favor of African-American students who are much lower qualified in terms of scores and in terms of aptitude and so forth. Uh, but they say that it's more important to, you know, to make the campus diverse, that the full college experience would not be achieved if it's overwhelmingly Asian and white. And so they're giving away spots in freshman classes to, uh, to people who are less qualified just to make it more diverse. That is the ultimate racial classification of America. It's discriminatory against high achieving students who want to go to Harvard and other schools that are doing this as well. How do you view that? Well, I think, you know, I, what I really try to emphasize at the end of classified is that if you're going to make a case for using racial classification, you have to say, well, what is the goal and are we actually achieving that? So there, besides the discriminatory aspect that you just mentioned of uh, what Harvard's doing, there's also the bizarreness of, again, considering Asians to be one category. Because really, if you look at the statistics, it's not that Asians as such are all succeeding so remarkably uh, in their educational uh, endeavors. It's really uh, students from India, who's with ancestry in India and China, and to a lesser extent Korea, but if you look at the Vietnamese, the Cambodians, the Filipinos, uh, a lot of other groups, they're just, you know, average or so, or maybe below average in educational achievements. You have this weird situation where Harvard may say, hey, um, we're going to take in the 101st uh, Mexican-American because that adds to our Hispanic uh, group. Uh, that makes us more diverse, but we won't take the first Hmong refugee from Minnesota. So it's not really, you know, they, officially, they're saying it's more diverse to have you know, 101 uh, Mexican-Americans than to have your first Hmong. That doesn't really make any sense. Now, even with the African-American classification, it turns out that a very over half of the students who are being admitted to Harvard based on affirmative action are um, recent uh, African or Caribbean immigrants or their children, uh, and another large percentage have at least one white parent. So the group that we really thought was supposed to be benefiting from this, people whose ancestors suffered from slavery and Jim Crow and may have been stuck you know, culturally and economically in uh, bad neighborhoods where there's not a lot of uh, motivation or incentive to uh, go to higher education, you want to encourage them, those people are really getting very, very few of the slots. So we have this weird, weird dance where Harvard could pretend to be advocating for social justice and diversity and all that, but it's really just using these arbitrary classifications that don't make any sense. Um, last question for you, Professor, and this is a fascinating conversation, uh, not even close to as fascinating as the book itself is, and I encourage everyone to get this. It's available now. It's Classified, The Untold Story of Racial Classification in America by David E. Bernstein. Look that up. In fact, I have a link to the Amazon page right now on my webpage, which is alwaysright.us, so check that out at alwaysright.us. One more thought on um, affirmative action and, and, and really on... Uh, privilege. You know, the, the only privilege that is allowed to be acknowledged in America today is white privilege. If you're white, you have privilege. And yet, there are so many people who are begging to classify themselves as minorities, particularly as BIPOC, as they say. 
um, because of the, uh, the the privilege that comes along with it. I think we all remember Rachel Dolezal is maybe the first, you know, I, I'm white, but I identify. She didn't even want to say she's white. She really tried to convince everybody she was black, and she took advantage of that. Elizabeth Warren wanted everybody to think she was truly Native American and, in fact, may have advanced her career her education and her career based on that. Um, there, there, there are advantages. There are privileges. Um, there are white kids who apply for scholarships who cannot get them because they're white. These are for black or, or indigenous or, or, or whatever only. So if, if we're going to have racial classification in America, um, how can we do it in such a discriminatory fashion where people really are tr- in fact I'll one more one more uh, example of this and then you can respond professor um I don't know any biracial person publicly who identifies themselves as white if you're biracial you identify your racial minority status if you're biracial you you identify as black I don't know anybody who is a white parent and a black parent who says I'm a white person they say I'm either biracial or I'm black so there's got to be a reason for that if white privilege is is as pervasive as we are told that it is yeah well you know the real sweet spot uh, in a sense in America today are what we might call uh, uh, I use the term in the book identity entrepreneurs people who in practice suffer none of whatever social disadvantages there might be to being a member of a minority group because they live their lives, basically other people perceive them as white, but then when they apply to college or for a job or whatnot, they claim minority status, either based on fraud or uh, maybe just because they had a Mexican great-grandfather or in Elizabeth Warren's case because she had family stories that her high cheekbones were from uh, uh, Cherokee ancestry or whatever. So that is, you know, those are the people I think stir up the most resentment, uh, uh, and understandably, but also, you know, I think there are obviously some disadvantages of being, uh, you know, you are, you do, you can be a subject of racism if you're black in the United States, but if you look, but if you look like you're Caucasian and then people perceive you that way, you live your life that way, but you can also check off that you get the legal advantages of affirmative action, then you're really doing well. Yeah, that that's 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 well said, uh, Professor David Bernstein. The book is classified: the untold story of racial classification in America. A fabulous read. Make sure you check it out. I've got it linked on uh, AlwaysWrite.us. You can go straight to Amazon and look for it there as well. Professor, thanks so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Best of luck with the book, sir. Thanks. Me too. Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on local now, channel 525.